morning. Thanks, Karen, and all the team. She's over next door with her kids, just loving on them. And a lot of volunteers. We had a lot of fun last Sunday. And another one in the books. And uh, this morning, take your worship guide out with me, if you will. Turn over to the back. You'll uh, find a place for scribbling notes together. Also, uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you might want to turn over to 1 Samuel around chapter 16, 17, chapters to follow. We'll probably go somewhere around near chapter 30 into 2 Samuel for next weekend. I am David. That's what we call in this series. It's the second week. Feel free to go online and catch up and learn a lot about King David and yourself and your heart. I, I want to pray, though, because I, I want us to have a prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, right now, revive our hearts by the living word. Speak truth, bring conviction, and bring change in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Okay. A lot of different songs today. There's a theme that we've been trying to set up. It's about trust. Trust. And you're going to hear that over and over. I hope you walk out here today and go, he was pretty serious about this trust thing. I think God wants our attention. One particular song on that says, I will trust you and all my hope is found in your love. I will trust you. My whole life is found in your love. But Lord, I will trust you. You know, we trust God for eternal salvation. That we could be delivered from the flames of hell. And have eternal life in the abode of heaven with God. Pretty smart. But will we trust God for tomorrow? We trust him for those things that are bugging us, those things that are driving us crazy, those things that keep us awake. I want you to turn over to Psalm 34. I told you to turn to 1 Samuel. Put your worship guide there. But I just want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 34. See, 70-something plus of the Psalms are attributed to King David. And in the 34th Psalm, it's an amazing Psalm as I look there, And I think about his life and what he says to you and I. And I want you to just look at a couple of things here with me. In Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. David was a magnifier of Jesus. He was so good about magnifying God. And then he goes on to say in verse 10. I want you to see verse 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord... Lack no good thing. Those that will seek Christ will not go lacking. Those that will trust in the riches of his name, in the glory of who Christ is. Ten years from about the time that Psalm 34 was written, David is privately anointed to be the king, as we read last weekend. And yet, when I see this chapter i see this verse and god's just saying trust trust we we could go through all the psalms through all the scripture and you can see we'll we'll have a lot of trust verses today saul faced some pivotal moments in his own life king saul really failed at a lot of things he did a lot of things right but a lot of things he did wrong and he was so jealous of david it was just off the chain it was just crazy but in a crucial time of crisis You and I have a choice to make a decision. Will I trust in God or will I trust myself? 
I'll just take care of this myself. I can speak personally. That's never worked out very well for me. It's a joke. And some of you today have come here and you're trusting a lot in your abilities, your giftedness, your wealth, your looks, your something, and you're empty. And maybe you're saying, well, man, we're finding ourselves just trusting in God, and, and I can because these great numbers of 30,000 chariots that would come up against the armies there, and God would reduce the armies down to 600 men. I mean, you know, those are some pretty big odds when things begin to dwindle. Israel, time and time again, because they turned their back on God, would seem to be a people that were hopeless, that God would not come through for them, but he did, because we can review his past and what he's done. And a lot of times God would bring tests to Saul and his kingdom, and Saul would fail them miserably. David failed a few times too. And I just think about as I apply that to my life, I think, how many times have I failed God? He's given me a test. I've come to a crossroad, and I didn't choose him. I didn't choose the narrow way. I didn't choose the hard way. I didn't choose the faith journey. I chose the flesh journey. I don't know if that's speaking to anybody today. I, was Saul expected to just sit there sometimes and wait and do nothing? Yes. Are you and I sometimes to call to sit and wait upon the Lord? Are we called to sit and wait sometimes? And aren't you incredibly uncomfortable as I am? Because I like to fix it. I'm a fix-it guy. I want to fix it. I want to fix stuff all the time especially when it comes to relationships and people and marriages and church. Those dynamics just crank me up. I think, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> I'm not too good at it. I don't think you probably are. And, and here in Scripture, you can read through Samuel, and you begin to see these things that God wants us to know this morning, that victories come not through strategies, not through weapons, not through good plans, but they come through trust in Him, through prayer and confidence in God alone. And there is our victory in our God. Some people will say, I have great faith. That's good. In my faith, I trust. Wrong. Time out. Your faith is not what makes you overcome. It's the object of your faith. Your faith is placed in who? In God. He is the victor. We have the victory in him, not because we have a great prayer life, not because we have great faith and those are important, but it's the one in who it's directed toward. And God, we said last weekend, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God knows the heart. I've never faked God off one time. <laughs> I'm glad. He's too all-knowing. He's all too in control. He's all too powerful. And yet, Saul gets removed. He, he has his kingdom evoked. And then he ends up just scheming and manipulating. And I think sometimes we do that. When we don't get our way, then we go, go right, God. You didn't come through for me, so I'll manipulate it. I'll do my own thing, and we'll see how that works for me, God. And, and that never tends to turn out very well. But then, so we looked at Psalm 34. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles back over to 1 Samuel. And there's a story here. I wasn't going to do it, and I said, yeah, I've got to do it. I mean, you, you, you can't preach here on Samuel and, and not uh, bring energy and attention and focus to this. It's the story that I told you that every little boy and girl learns. Christian, non-Christian, pagan, sold-out believers, they hear the story. Athletic teams hear the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to run rather quickly through this story because 
I'm going to take it that you can read it later, or you already know this story, and you think there's nothing God can teach me, and I'm thinking, well, we'll see. Because, see, we somehow all love a Cinderella story, don't we? We love the underdog winning. In sports, there's something about when the underdog plays the big giant, and they hardly ever get beat, the giant, but every once in a while somebody gets upset or beat, and we go, unless it's your team, we go, isn't that cool? And we like the Cinderella story. Little girls are made, or they're not made to do this, but they, they love Cinderella. They, they, they love how she comes out and things happen for her. And yet, when I think about David being the leader of Israel and how he trusted God and how he had confidence in God, it was, it was a good thing. I want you to fill out the top blank. David has a faith-based confidence in his God and that his faith is contagious. His, his, his faith is built around, his confidence is in the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is stable. The Lord is majestic. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is all. And that's why David is a man after God's heart. He he knows his truth. He has a faith. The the giant Goliath in in chapter 17, he comes out and he mocks the army of God. He taunts them. He jeers at them. He makes fun of them. And little David, shepherd boy, about 15, they tell us at this time, he cannot stand to hear his God being put down. He won't stand for it. His brothers, they will. Saul will. The armies will. Nobody would go up against the giant. He's nine foot tall. He's big. He'll, he'll eat our lunch. There's no way. And this morning, I, I just want to be practical, there's some giants in the room. There's some giants in your life. And God is calling you by your faith in him, your trust in him to overcome them. But you're paralyzed. And you won't slay the giant because you think, I am weak. You are. But he is strong. He's great. Here's some ones I thought about. Depression. I talk to people every week that battle depression. It's a giant in your life. It seems to take over your life and leaves you powerless another one would be abuse addictions alcohol drugs bad relationships worry on and on and yet when the giant comes out to confront all the people are in the tent they're hiding but not david david comes out of the tent he's not going to hide from the giant matter of fact the bible i love what in first samuel 17 it says it says david ran toward david ran at the giant he went at him i love man that's my god it's how he works through this guy david is teaching you and me this morning there's a giant in your life and it's cutting your head off it's taking you out it's taunting you it's making fun of you it's pushing you down spiritually there's not a lot of vibrancy in your spiritual life because you won't take on the giant and the strength of jesus and David, man, he gets out of his tent. He runs toward it. He's not going to be paralyzed anymore. First Samuel 17, 32, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and he will fight him. And David did. So what did David do? Here it is. David does what? What does David do? Here it is. Pulls out a slingshot. Man, this is going to be fun. Now, I can tell a lot of you are new. This is scary when Pastor Keith pulls out a prop and I point at you. 
I used a golf club, a golf club one time and talked about grace as a do-over and a mulligan. And I hit Zelda in the head with a golf ball. That's what's wrong with her. No, no, she's awesome. It, it was plastic. I took a football one time and I threw it off stage and I hit somebody. And today, I've got my rock, a big rock, and my slingshot. And if I let go, you're going to die. Now, I think we have Cole Womble in here. He could probably take this thing and take a bear out or something. He's pretty good with bows and arrows and stuff. I'm not. But I just, you know, you look at this, you're like, that is silly. Giant, nine foot, big sword, big armor. And those shepherd boy takes five smooth stones out of his pouch, takes a slingshot. And what does he do? That rock. Right in the head. Boom. Giant down. And girls, I'm sorry, but the Bible says this. I didn't make it up. King David went over there. And he got his knife out and he cut his head off. You thought gory stuff was just in the movies. This right there in the Bible? Cut his head off. Trophy? I mean, wouldn't that be ugly on your wall? You think deer are ugly hanging on your wall? Can you imagine the head of Goliath hanging on your wall? I don't think it did. But he took him down. And you see the principle I'm trying to drive this morning. God wants us to defy the giants in our life. And I don't know if we're willing to say, God, I will. Because look at this. David runs quickly toward the giant. Here it is. Measure the size of your obstacle against the size of your God. However overarching, how overwhelming, how big your giant is, is your God bigger? Mine is. And I'm getting to get some tests right now that I'm having to fight some giants, and you're having some tests in your life, and if you don't, turn to the person next to you and say, let me have one of your giants. You probably won't do that. Because you'll get one next week or next year or next season. Went and met with one of my good friends this week and prayed over him. He's got cancer for the third time. He's going to MD Anderson. He went, it's, flew out there this morning. He's having test Tuesday. His name's Mike. Praying for him. It's a giant. But man, I sat there and I went to minister to him. And he ministered back to me. That's always the way it works. I don't get it. So I am David. Look at this next one. You can ignore your giant or you can face it. This morning, a real practical word is face your giant in the might of Christ. Or ignore it. And it won't disappear. It'll be there. It'll slay you. It'll take you down. It'll hold you captive. There are a lot of people that are going to die with their giants being over them. And I'm saying, God, how foolish would that be? And look at the next one. We must remember we don't stand in victory because of our faith. We stand in victory because of our God. Faith in a living, active God moves mountains, says Beth Moore. And I couldn't agree with her more. It's my faith. It's my confidence. It's my trust in him that moves the Father. On my behalf and your behalf. And I'm like, God, that's where we want to go. That's what we want to trust. So regardless of the, the problem or the giant or whatever you're facing this morning, there's no problem too big to overcome with the help of the Lord. How many believe that today? I do. My friend Mike told me, he says, Keith, cancer is in my body. They've taken some tumors out. They've done this. They've done radiation. They've done chemo. And now it's coming the over in another part, and they can't radiate my whole body, so I'm going to MD Anderson for another opinion on and on. He says, but, he looked at me right now, he goes, but I have the victory. He says, whether I die or live, I am victorious in my God. And with that, I prayed and I left. I went, this brother's got it. So, Max Lucado, the great writer, listen to what he says. Focus on your giants, you stumble. Focus on God your giants tumble. He is such a wordsmith. 
How many of you wish you could write like Max Lucado? Boy, I do. He just sits down and these thoughts come to him. I mean, like, man, listen to that. Focus on your giants, you stumble. Focus on your God and your giants tumble. It's the size of your God this morning. And I don't know how big he is, but let's, let's keep moving here. Here's the story of Saul and there's the story of David. Now, we have to talk about Saul a good bit when you talk about David. And what we'll see here is, is that there's kind of a summarization here that Saul is self-led, self-governed, self-driven. Saul is full of himself. He's very fleshy. And uh, you know, he, he thought it worked well for him. But I, I think about us here when we think about, about being uh, con- conditioned to that, that Saul looks blessed. You look on the outside, and Saul has it all. He's in control. He has a kingdom. You look at David, he looks cursed. He's on the run from a jealous, mad king named Saul. But on the inside, you read through the Psalms, you read through Samuel. David, listen, David is at rest. He's at peace on the inside. So this morning, there's a giant coming. There's a giant that's standing you face to face. Are you, are you at peace in here? I don't care what the world says in here. I mean, this is such a message that I'm just preaching to myself, and y'all getting to hear out loud. I need, I need this word. Does anybody else need this word besides your pastor this morning? Yeah, that's what I thought. If you don't, you'll go back and say, I, I need to hear that. In 1 Samuel 16, and you go to 1 Samuel 23, it says, David inquired of the Lord. He was a wise guy. He prayed. He petitioned. He sought his God. He wanted to get wisdom. And David spares Saul's life in 1 Samuel 24. It's really kind of a, a, a comical reading. Let's just turn over 1 Samuel. So you've got the jealousy of David in 18. In 20, you've got David and Jonathan. But let's look here in 24. Now, this is a, a, a fascinating section here. That he, that he comes up on King Saul, okay? He, he comes up on this great king. And the Bible is very graphic in detail sometimes, and it says uh, that he's relieving himself. It, it really does say that. I didn't make that up. You're like, well, why does God put that in there? Well, he, he just did, and it's kind of funny. It's kind of not. But, and then he goes over, and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe because he could have had him. But David said, I will touch not thy anointed one of God. And all the people later you read in Scripture, you've got to read through 1 Samuel, they're like, but David, why don't you and your men take him out? He's a madman. He wants you, David. And David's like, oh, no. If God wants to take him out, God will take him out. I will not rise up against him as crazy as he is. For he's God's king. And David had already been anointed probably to be king, but he's just patient and he trusts God. And I'm like, man, that's... So the second thing is he's self-led. Saul has a lot of fear and insecurity. You read through the the life of Saul, and he's a fearful king. He is the king of the kingdom, but fear controls him. And he's really insecure because he's so threatened by David. Oh, he has slayed thousands, but David, he has slayed tens of thousands, and everybody's dancing in the street. Oh, King David, oh, King David. And Saul's like, oh, no, I don't want to hear about this guy. And then you read on down in 24. Look, Look down here. Uh... Verse 5, 24, 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord anointed him 
or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men, did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. David understood authority. He understood not taking things in his own hands to trust God. He was broken. When we say conscience-stricken, here's what we would say today. Pastor was under conviction. God was dealing with me. He deals with us in our conscience, in our hearts, in our minds, the Holy Spirit. But David doesn't hurt him. He doesn't take Saul out. And you just, I could tell you so much about this story because there, there's so much to unpack, but I, but I think you're getting a, a taste of Samuel and Saul and David and this mighty man of God and how his faith won't waver. And, and sometimes, as you read through there, you, you, you see some grief. And grief always tends to isolate you and I if we're not careful. And I would say when you and I go through grief, we need to draw into a community of faith. And the church said, amen. I mean, why? Jeff Heath preached a great message several weeks ago for me when I was in Indiana preaching. He preached about community. We need community, followership. We need to follow God. But then I want you to run on the other side the story of David. David is into personal abandonment. Unlike Saul being self-led, he abandons his flesh. He abandons himself. He wants to follow God. And the other one I want you to write in there, he has absolute trust, absolute confidence in God. Not in his ability, not in his kingdom, but in in who God is. A writer that I read that I was not familiar with too recently, her name is Hannah Smith. She wrote a book, if you want to write it, it says, it's the Christian secret to a happy life. And she writes all about personal abandonment, following Christ more deeply, more intimately, and having absolute trust in our God, living a life in inevitable obedience to him, that he is a precious savior, and that she was weary, she was, and we should be weary of sin, we should be quick to follow God, to pursue him, to commit our case to him in absolute abandonment, that he is not only a God that is mighty to save, but he is a mighty God to trust and to deliver us from our situations in life. And sometimes he comes over so quickly and delivers us out of chaos. And sometimes he leaves us in that to test our faith, to forge, to build our faith. Absolute trust. I love this. It says, moreover, he knows all your panicky thoughts. I don't see how I can ever repay this debt. I don't have any hope for my marriage. I don't know how I can keep my job. And yet it holds true. I will trust in the Lord. Absolute trust. And when I name some of those situations, people in our congregations over the years and this year have faced that. Next weekend, quick commercial. Do not miss next weekend. Please bring friends. Please come. Next weekend is 1,000 Sundays for his glory. We celebrate 1,000 weekends at Christ Community next weekend. Never thought I'd live to tell it. Jeff is bringing up some old songs. Some of you, that, that will thrill you. Some are like, oh, boy, that'll be fun. No, it's going to be amazing. We're going to worship the king about his faithfulness. But let's, let's continue to trust. Let me just give you some words here. Hebrews eleven six. 6, write it in your notes. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Write down Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, but trust him. Psalm 115, 11. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and he is their shield. Do you feel that way about your God this morning? And then the one I bet you could quote, you teach it to your kids, Proverbs. David didn't write it. 
God did. Three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own. Or one translation says, lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct their path. He should direct my path. Trust. It's an absolute trust that you, you, you trust Christ. Let me say it this way. You trust Christ to be your dying Savior. But you, you trust Jesus to be your living Savior. He's a living king to take hold of this morning and, and to clinch and not run away from. Oh, God, I need you. I'm, God, are, are we desperate? I, I don't know if you're desperate today for God. I hope you are. If you are, you're at a great place. If you're not desperate for God, I don't know what you might have to face to get desperate. Because God loves you. God's jealous of, our, of his love for us. We express our faith in definite words in Christ. We acknowledge God as our Father. We surrender to him. But you know what? I'm convinced of this. The greatest person in the world is himself. Now listen before you write me off. Our whole lives are made up of endless variations of the word me. What do people think of me? How will this situation affect me? Will this make me happy? Do people respect me as they should? Look at my wealth. Behold my remarkable experiences. Listen to my wisdom. Adopt my views. Follow my methods. I, I, I. It intrudes our lives if we let it. And it demands that we worship it, that we are faithful to it. And yet, when I think about that, we can return from the great I, 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 me, 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 to the great I am. And this morning, I'm just wondering if you and I would run to the I am. He is God. But who do you say I am? I am. I am who I say I am. I am the great I am. And God, I need you. Church, you, you need him. I hope you'll run to him. Personal abandonment, absolute trust, repenting, believing the gospel. That's really what I've come to talk about today, just believing the gospel. I know we're in the Old Testament, but Christ is revealed. But here we know him in full through, we know God in full through Christ. I love what Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 7, it says how Jesus lived. Listen to how Jesus lived. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in your very nature, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, the Bible says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness that he might serve the purposes of his father. I'd write on your outline today. Let go. Is there something you're holding on to? And God's like, I just want you to let go. I mean, I think David is why he's called the man after God's heart. He lets go. Oh, he holds on. He tries to manipulate and scheme and do the things that Saul did in part. But eventually he becomes the great king and he does let go. And I think about when you and I get in trouble, do we let go and trust God? Or do we go, God, I'm going I'm to fix this. I'm really smart. God, I can really do this. Okay, run around that mountain with me. It's not very smart. But I want to give you something that's so powerful right there under the box. I want you to look at it. I want you to circle it. But David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. Circle that whole phrase. He strengthened himself in God. He encouraged himself. Do you know sometimes some of the best talks you can have are with yourself? 
Now, hold on. Some of you are thinking, I knew you were crazy. No. Ray Johnston, my friend in California, told me, Keith, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself as a pastor is not to get discouraged and to encourage yourself. And I, I think about this all the time. I have to encourage myself in the Lord. There's a, there's a fight out there. There's an enemy out there. He's real. And I think about your life and mine, and we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And David does that. He encourages himself in his God. He strengthened himself in God. You know how I know that? The Psalms. Write it down. He composed Psalms. David composed Psalms led by the Spirit of God to record for us that we could have today. And we could begin to pray these back to the Father. We could begin to feed our, our spirit, man, with the Word of God and go, God, I'm strengthening myself with the Word of God. And, and that's what gives us victory. Let me just give you some here. In times of trouble, David often composed these Psalms. Write down Psalm chapter 59, 1 through 4. Matter of fact, it's going to come up on the screen. I want you to look here with me. Rescue me from my enemies, O oh God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. They have set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting. Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them, I've done nothing wrong. Yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. See what is happening. And... Oh, that's the way you pray it? Help me, Lord. Oh, no. Help me. Help me, Jesus. I mean, do y'all not pray that great prayer? No? Well, you ought to get that prayer on your prayer list. Help me. It's a great one. It's a need. And I could, I could go Psalm 56, 1 through 2. I think it's going to come up. It might not. There it is. Oh, God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. Boy, doesn't that happen to you? My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But, Lord, help the boy. You're saying, I'm not a boy. Help the girl. Help me. Help me, Lord. Psalm 3, verses 1 through 2. I, I, I love what this one says. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me, so many are saying God will never rescue him. He's, he's encouraging himself. He's strengthening himself in the Lord. Y'all, this is a principle. If you just walk away today and go, trust and strengthen myself in God, in the Word. Man, you got it. You'll be victorious in him. He'll be your strength. He'll be your joy. You'll place that trust. You'll seek him. You'll praise him. You'll meditate. You'll, you'll put Psalm 63, 8. Team's going to come on this. I want you to hear Psalm 63.8. I cling to your right hand, for it holds me. God, guys, I, I've had this prayer lately. God, if you don't come through, I'm not going to make it. God, if you don't deliver me from this situation or this circumstance, I don't know what I'll do, but I will praise you. I will magnify the name of Jesus. And the Father's glorified when we decide to honor and exalt his name and not ourselves. And we go, Lord, would you uphold me? Would, would you strengthen me? Would you come alongside me? Lord, would you help me to believe your promises? God, because you're empathetic, because you're compassionate, I will trust in you. For you're my God. Lord, I'm going to trust you with finances and job and future and mate and kids and families and singleness and whatever. But Lord, I trust you this morning there's a young person right now saying man I, I need this word i don't trust there's an adult right now that says i'm not trusting god for my marriage i'm not trusting god 
for my work. I'm not trusting God for a situation that you find yourself in. So we're going to sing a great song that the worship team is going to lead us in, that I will trust in you. It's very thematic today. I just pray that it's getting in our hearts. And we're going, Lord, if King David can trust you, so can I. I need you, my God. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome thing to be in your house with your kids today, Lord. And Lord, this is really a, a raw message of the heart. But when I read the Psalms, I see a raw man with this God that doesn't have any pretense. He's not a poser. But he's in tune with himself. He's genuine, but he loves his God. He worships his king. And God, I pray that today somehow you would do that for us here, that you would be the ultimate authority for our life. And Lord, as I think about, David just says, I will trust the Father. I will trust the Lord. Find us there today, Lord. I, I don't know where we're at. We're, we're up against that giant that I started with. And that giant is stealing our joy. That giant is taking our faith. That giant has destroyed my confidence. That giant has done blank. But that giant is real. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So this morning, church, I want you to do something on this next song. I'm going to invite some of you to come out and come to this altar and put your giant down and magnify your God that's bigger than your giant.